What's up, Dolphin fans? Welcome to the same old Dolphin show. I'm Josh Katzker. With me today and every day is my brother from the exact same mother, Aaron the Brain. Aaron, say hello to the people. Hello to the people. Brain, I have to tell you, I've been watching this been watching this College World Series. You watch the College uh, not the College World, it's the Little League World Series. You watching this Little League World Series? No. And honestly, I don't understand people to do. Oh man. It is so good. It is <sighs> No, it and here's the thing. It's everything that is great about sports. It's fantastic. You've got these you've got these young kids, what, they're all like eleven to 11 and 12, maybe the occasional 13-year-old in there. And they uh, they are playing baseball. They're playing the game because they love the game. That's the only reason they're playing. Um, they're making great plays from time to time. But occasionally they're not making great plays. Sometimes it's terrible and it's a complete shit show. And it's great to enjoy that as well. But the sportsmanship element is there. And it's so strong and powerful it's just the kind of thing that makes you feel good about being a sports fan i was watching today um as we're recording here on sunday evening i was i was watching today and hawaii beat south korea in the championship game and it was just the joy on one side the just crushing agony of defeat on the other side but the sportsmanship was still strong throughout and like you had the the Hawaiian team going over and saluting the South Korean fans afterwards and the team and their fans were all chanting for Korea it's that sort of 2468 who do you appreciate thing it was uh I don't know it was just great it's just enjoyable i i've i've enjoyed watching it it's it's kind of fun to watch every year um it's it's fun to watch people play a game because they love it as opposed to because that's what they're really good at and what they get paid for there's a there's a different sort of feel when you have when you're watching people play a game that they truly love to play so i don't know i enjoyed it but you don't uh you don't like it i mean maybe college maybe uh i mean even high school I could see, but I mean, come on, there are 11 and 12 year old kids. It's a, it's a snooze fest. No, I mean, no, like, no, really, no. It's, it's uh, I mean, I'm only, would you watch it aside? Well, there's two reasons why you'd watch it. The number one reason is obviously because ESPN tells you to watch it because they put it on there and they're like, here, this is great. Watch it. The other reason to watch it is you, you personally know somebody playing or somebody coaching. On one of those teams, uh, like I've it's been watching family, a, or I, I really don't get it. I've been watching the Little League World Series for as, for as long as I can remember. Remember, we even had remember when we were kids, we had the Little League Baseball uh, Nintendo yeah, game. And, and honestly, I used to want to watch just because I wanted to see if the Florida team had that tall blonde guy, and then he was followed up in the order by the short tubby guy that hit like forty home runs. That's right. Would you see the clip of the kid who I don't remember what team he played for, but he was like, he he said his name. He's like, he was this, you know, short kid, high pitched voice, big, you know, chunky kid. And he goes, hi, at home, they call me Al and I hit dingers. 
And he was just fantastic. He was so good. He's uh, Little League Baseball is fantastic. It's, it's great, and I will refuse to hear anything against it. it. It's fantastic. It's good entertainment. It's good, wholesome fun the whole family can enjoy. And if you don't like the, if you don't like the Little League World Series, you can kiss my whole family ass. In the immortal All words right, Trick of Tricky. In the immortal words of Trick Daddy. Well, to paraphrase them slightly. Because when Trick Daddy said them, he was talking about the Miami Dolphins, which I guess we should probably do. We should probably talk about... chewable ribs. <laughs> One of them chewable ribs. Do you want to... Do you want to... Uh, Share with the people what you're what you're referencing here. No, no, okay. If he's if he's listening, he knows. Trick Daddy knows. If Trick- if you're listening, <laughs> hit us up on Facebook or Twitter. Yeah. Uh, if if you get that. Yeah. If you get if you get it. If you are Trick Daddy listening to the same old Dolphin show, Trick, hit us up. Follow us on Twitter at same old Dolphins, uh, and make sure you're checking us out and giving us a like over on the Facebook page, facebook.com slash same old dolphins. Brain is on Twitter at Aaron the Brain. I'm on Twitter at Amplified to Rock. And uh, yeah, you should be following us. And you should also go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review and a very positive rating. And that'd be really helpful because it's going to help other people discover the show and join in the conversation about our and your beloved Miami Dolphins. Our beloved Miami Dolphins recently uh, played their third preseason game at home against the Baltimore Ravens, a game they they lost twenty seven to ten. Um, but it you know it's the big third preseason game. Of course, the result doesn't matter. It, the the narrative sort of leading up to the game was this is the big dress rehearsal for the regular season. You're going to see the starters play into the third quarter, which turned out not to be true for the Dolphins, because as it turned out, the Ravens, who were on their fourth preseason game of the season, decided to rest most of their starters. So uh, significant portions of the team didn't play. I think none of their starting wide receivers played. Joe Flacco didn't play. Terrell Suggs didn't play. Alex Collins, I think, had a series. Um a series in which he performed pretty well against the Dolphins' defense, I have to say. But um, he, he he saw limited action. Um, I don't know. I, I think most of the defense that was out there for the Ravens at the start was um, a lot of second stringers. Um, so it wasn't truly a dress rehearsal for the season, and it sort of made it difficult, I think, to put a serious value judgment on the performance, but be that as it may, I think there was a lot to, I think there was plenty to take away from this game. And as we usually do, Brain, we're going to start with you talking about some of the things that bothered you in this game. So, I mean, the game could not have started worse for, well, for, for the offense, but before the offense got on the field, the defense went on there and uh you know Baltimore I thought Baltimore moved the ball but they were aided by a big penalty the the gacha hands to the face which otherwise would have ended up being a sack by Robert Quinn so I thought the defense you know given that they I mean look you can't erase 
the penalty, that goes against the defense. But considering the penalty and the negative play that uh, that it nullified, I thought they did a pretty good job to to hold Baltimore to a field goal. But again, hard to really gauge the first team's defense performance against a Baltimore team that's starting RG3 and a bunch of backup receivers. And then it also seemed to not really be all that interested in running the ball, which was Miami's real weakness through their first two preseason games was their run defense. So I thought that that was a little weird and maybe it was just, you know, Baltimore, since they had RG3 out there, they wanted to get RG3 RG three throwing the ball. They wanted to see that part of their offense and that's what they wanted to work on. Um, but the defense, nonetheless, they held him to a field goal. Justin Tucker uncharacteristic uncharacteristically misses the field goal. The Dolphins get on the field and it's a fumble on the first play of the game. Then I think it was uh, uh, a negative run. It was a negative run by Frank Gore. And then on third and long, uh, a little dump off where, where Tannehill, I think was I was eyeing Frank Gore from the second he came out of the backfield. Was that, that that was right, right? That yeah, was I believe a, that's correct. It was a yeah. it was a very 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 poor possession. Yeah, so it, it was awful. And then the next time they got the ball, uh, you had breakdowns on the right side of the offensive line. It was just it was just kind of a mess. But I do feel like they cleaned it up. Tannehill started to get into a rhythm. They got the no huddle going. Um, let's not let's not get into that yet. We're hanging on the negatives here. We're still okay, the hanging negatives. on the negatives. Sorry, sorry. Uh, all right. So from from an offensive standpoint, it got off to a really shaky start, and the O line looked rough. And that's a pattern. Uh, that is a pattern that has continued from last season. This is an offense that continuously starts slow. Whatever it is, that first fifteen plays or so that they script at the beginning of the game, it just whatever. For whatever reason, they just cannot get going. And it almost makes you wonder if that's something that they should do away with and, uh, you know, just take a more active role calling plays as you see it, as you, as you see what kind of setup the other team is in, as opposed to scripting it out and sticking with it regardless. Because as the result of that has been pretty consistently slow starts from the Miami Dolphins offense. Well, how much of it is play calling and how much of it is execution? Um, I would it, say it's really I would hard say to it's, say. It's probably six of one, half a dozen of the other. I don't know. I, I'm of the belief that, especially at the, the beginning of the game, I mean, you're running plays that you feel – those plays that you script, you've been running those plays all week in practice and you feel really confident in them that if they're executed right – that they're going to give you success. What we're seeing is, you know, uh, you're seeing a quarterback fumble the ball. <laughs> uh, you're seeing a breakdown where your right guard lets the defensive tackle just slip right by him. It's not like it was a blitz. It's not like it was some some great play or some great play call by the defense where they had us outnumbered and you had a guy run free because it was the right play called at the right time. These these are execution mistakes, and I think that. Um, look, if you want to blame that on coaching, you certainly can, but I'm not going to sit here and criticize the play calling. I would say that's more on your, your preparation one in during the week 
and then your pres your preparation in the walkthrough and your maybe it's your speech in the locker room or whatever it is in getting your guys ready to play from the jump. Yeah, I mean, but it's a preseason game. Yes, it's a preseason game, so you don't want to you don't want to go too crazy about it. But the other thing is, you know, those first couple of possessions, Tannehill looked. Pretty tentative. He had a couple of good moments, made a nice connection with Danny Amendola early on in that drive, but he looked he looked tentative at first in that game. It took him a while to sort of get his feet under him and starting to look like an actual NFL quarterback. But is uh, that is that I mean so terribly odd uh, in a lot of the NFL games? I mean, even in the regular season, um. You know, those first couple of drives, a lot of times they are a bit of a feeling out and you will see some tentative plays, especially not, you know, especially when you're looking at your not elite level quarterbacks, because Tannehill is not an elite level quarterback. So he's not going to be one of these guys that comes out guns a blazing, slinging the ball down the field on the first and second possession of the game. A lot of times, especially again, preseason where you're not you're not necessarily playing to win. You're just you're you're playing to work on things. You're playing to get out there to get a feel, kind of measure yourself, get a rapport. You know, it's it's like uh, like in college when you when you've got when you got that cupcake in week one. Yeah, the game kind of counts, and you want to play really well. But really, what it's about is, is it's a tune up. It's a tune up, and so you're not necessarily going out there slinging the ball, showing everything in your playbook. So I'm not going to get all crazy about what was ultimately two drives when I believe the third drive resulted in a touchdown. Yeah, I mean, this is – no, it wasn't the third drive. But I think it's really funny that we're having this conversation. It's going like this because it's the polar opposite of what it was last week. I'm saying that the slow starts and everything about the slow starts is – it's a it's been a consistent problem just like covering tight ends has been a consistent problem stopping runs up the middle has been a consistent problem it's just one of those things that the dolphins i think are going to need to address at some point if they're really genuinely looking to take a big step forward this season but anyway we digress continue talking about uh, things that Things, players, moments that were negatives for you in this game against Baltimore. Honestly, from the first team, I didn't see a whole lot of negative. Um, I I came away not like blown away, not like you know. I think the Dolphins are now a playoff team or anything, but I came away from it and I said there are some things that. Uh, that went not so great, but by and large, the, some of the things that I was concerned about didn't really rear their ugly head. And I think partially that's because of the opponent, because I think the two things that we were probably most concerned about coming into this week was the run defense and the, and the number two corner position. And, you know, Baltimore 
basically rested their top three receivers. So it's not like that number two corner position was, was really exposed in any way because they were playing Baltimore's number four receiver. And like I said, the majority of the first half, Baltimore didn't really try to establish the running game at all. So I guess if I if I really had to focus the negatives, it would really be on the depth because once the game switched over to the second half and Miami starters came out, then it was a completely different story and Baltimore basically had their way. But uh I guess that's that would be the ultimate negative that I saw was that the depth of the team, whether it, and on, it's on both sides of the ball, the Dolphins backup O-line, uh, the Dolphins backup quarterback situation is bad. And then specifically on defense, the second team defense or the third team defense was just brutal. Yeah, they got they got killed in the trenches in the second half. Um, depth is certainly an issue with this team. And I think next week when we do our season preview episode, I think we'll we'll probably touch on the importance of depth or the specifically the importance of staying healthy is going to be something that we talk a lot about um, next week as we look at what this season looks like as far as the big picture for the Miami Dolphins. Um, I would echo a lot of what you said. I was a little bit concerned that Baltimore's pretty much a second string Offense from Baltimore was able to move the ball down the field as well as they did in the first half. It was it was very classic, same old Dolphins bend but don't break defense where they let you get down the field and then they stand up and hold you to field goal attempts. Um, but, you know, you were looking at a lot of second stringers for Baltimore moving the ball down the field at times pretty easily, getting big chunks of yardage, and that's one of those things that I think is going to continue to be an issue all season, particularly because this team is weak in the middle of the, of their defense. I think uh, that, that linebacker situation is probably the worst situation. You know, uh, the linebacker unit of the Dolphins defense is probably where they are overall the weakest. If you talk about D line linebackers and the secondary uh, the linebackers is the weakest position. Now, I will say that the linebackers overall, I thought, performed a, a little bit better than they have in previous weeks. It certainly wasn't big steps forward, but there were steps forward, so there was positive signs there. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was that was the biggest negative to me there, obviously, aside from the sort of inconsistency of the Dolphins' offense, and that was something that I tweeted about Um on Saturday night, as I was as the game was sort of wrapping up, I think one of my biggest concerns with this team, I, I phrased it as the, it's the consistent inconsistency of this offense. It is good in flashes, and we saw Tannehill connecting on that deep pass with Kenyon Drake, Kenyon Drake busting a huge run, um, and all of the great interior blocking that allowed that to happen. Um, Tannehill finding Gasicki on that. Um, on that third down. First of all, reading, and we'll we'll get into that, but that third down play where Tannehill reads the defense audibles and finds Gesicki on the quick slant for the first down, um, that was a beautiful sign, and that's the kind of thing that we've been looking for from Ryan Tannehill for a long time. The problem is it happens in flashes, and it doesn't. it's not something that happens consistently. And, and that, I think, is going to be the thing that, is going to sort of make or break 
this team because yes we know that they've got defensive issues and this defense is going to give up chunks of yardage and may give up some may give up a lot of points but the thing that is going to allow the Dolphins to compete is their offense clicking and getting things together and if it, it can be consistent um then I think there there could be something there um if it if they can't get the consistency, I think the floor for this offense is very low. I, I, you know, I, I think if things do not go according to plan, we could be looking at a bottom third NFL offense. If uh, well, if that's they what they were last together. year. They they were one of the worst offenses in the league last year. That that is what the floor is. Um. The ceiling is not the best offense in the league. I I think. Look, you're, you're saying they're consistently inconsistent. That's because they. That's because that's who they are. They are not great from a talent perspective. They don't have an elite quarterback. They don't well, have you know, it's an this, offensive line. Yeah. They're not going to be some consistently good offense. It's not really a question. You know that they're going to be consistent uh, at what they are, which is. You know, whether you call it consistently inconsistent or you say consistently average. If they're, you know, a pretty average offense, I think that's, you know, that's not great. You'd like to be for them to be above average, but I don't think it's really fair to expect them to be a top 10 offense. No, no, absolutely not. Absolutely not. It's a top 10 offense if it's consistently good. Right. And I think that's where you get to the people who are clamoring for Ryan Tannehill to show up and be this elite quarterback. That's what it's going to take. Period. End of sentence. That's what it's going to take to make the Miami Dolphins an elite uh, offense. To make this offense great and to make this team, you know... To, to put this offense in the top tier, it is going to take Ryan Tannehill being more than just a serviceable NFL quarterback. It's going to take him becoming an elite NFL quarterback. And I don't know if that's something that anybody can expect to happen at this point. I, I think it's possible that he could have a career year and have it be – he can have an above-average season, um, and that would be that would be great. But – this team is going to give up points. So in order for it to compete, to, to compete, if we get this team to where it's an elite level offense, I think that's where this team is. And I don't want to give too much away heading to next week. But I think if somehow this offense is clicking on all cylinders and is one of the best offenses in the league somehow, at that point, I think you're looking at a Dolphins team that is maybe sneaking into the playoffs. Well, they're not – if that's what it's going to take to sneak into the playoffs, it's not happening because you've got – Spoiler alert. If you, if you think that this offense is going to be elite, uh, I feel sorry for you this season. Yeah, I, I you just – You are in for a rude awakening because there is no way that this Dolphins offense is going to be elite. No, And there is no not. way that like, – like you said, Tannehill can have a career year. In a, but what does a career year from Ryan Tannehill look like? And I think a career year from Ryan Tannehill looks a lot like his year a couple of years ago from a, from a totals perspective where his passing attempts were down, his – 
his touchdowns were down, his yardage was down, but his completion percentage was up. And the only difference between that year and what a career year would look like is the mistakes would come down. And instead of looking at a year where it's 19 touchdowns and 12 interceptions or whatever, it would be a year where it's like 25 touchdowns and eight interceptions. Yeah. Listen, I I make no bones about it. I do not not believe. I do not not believe. I do not believe that the Dolphins are going to have an elite offense. I think the ceiling for this offense is probably middle of the pack. Um, in the NFL to maybe have an average to slightly above average offense, I think is probably right. the ceiling. And and I and that's not to say that 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 this was a negative because I thought there were very positive signs from the offense in this game once they started clicking. I thought Tannehill looked sharp. His pocket presence is a bit better than it has been in the past, um, which which is good. He was he was getting some time. He was sharp. He was making. Throws that were on target, which is a big thing for him. Um, I liked the way that he looked in this game. I like Albert Wilson in the slot. I mean, one of the... Let's stick on Tannehill for a second, because I want to finish. I had a point on this Tannehill discussion, which is I don't believe that Tannehill needs to be elite for the offense to be good enough. And... That game, that first half that Ryan Tannehill played, granted, the first two drives, really the first three drives, were bad, were really terrible. But by and large, from that point on, if that's the Ryan Tannehill that you get, a Ryan Tannehill that uh, doesn't make mistakes, moves the chains, connects on a deep ball sparingly, and and by and large just does just makes the throws that he needs to make when he needs to make them i think that's good enough i don't know that that's i mean i don't believe that that's good enough to carry a team to the super bowl and i don't know that that's good enough to warrant him being your franchise quarterback going forward for the next 4 to 5 seasons but i believe that you can it was a very Ryan Tannehill performance. It was good enough if the team around him is great. And that is the issue is can you have a team around him that is great in the time frame that you have with Tannehill making the money that he's making? Because if you can't, you will not win with him. And if that's the case, you need to move on from him. But we, we've got him for at least this year. So let's see how good this team can be around him considering he's healthy and if he can play, you know, just like that. Because I thought that the game that he played in the first half, that was pretty similar to the way that Ryan Tannehill played on that that nine-game stretch where, where he was supposedly really great. Uh, you know, look at the numbers, 11 for 16, 115 yards, 7.2 yards per attempt, a touchdown, no interceptions, 110 quarterback rating. You can't argue with the numbers. They were, it was an efficient game from Ryan Tannehill. And he's been, it's, and he's been uh, just that efficient throughout the whole preseason in the action that he's seen 29 of 39 
for 247 yards and a touchdown. Averaging well, I thought he was a little bit better in this game because he did connect on the deep ball. Yes, yes. I mean, but I mean, and he his... missed some throws in the other game. Yeah, I mean, I didn't feel like he missed any, if any, throws in this one. Well, what, I'm, just, what I'm what I'm saying is like... that what I'm saying is that Tannehill's performance in this preseason as a whole. It's pretty good, and if you're the Dolphins, you have to like what you've seen from Ryan Tannehill thus far. He's thrown his 74.4% you know, connection rate, 29-39 passing, averaging 6.3 yards an attempt. Uh, that, that is not a good number, and no. that's going to be where the detractors come, and they're right. That is not a good number, especially when you consider it's, it's actually on the upswing after – this last game, and that's where a lot of the detractors will what they'll say is, okay, he was 11 for 16 for 115 yards, and that's a 7.2 average per attempt. But he also uh, completed that one pass for 36 yards. So when you take out that one pass, and again, you can't do that, he was 10 of 15 for 79 yards, which 79 yards on 15 attempts is le- is just over five yards per attempt. So up until that throw, basically, he was he was really not good. But if he's able to throw that deep ball, whether it's to his receivers or maybe it's to Kenyon Drake or maybe it's to Mike Gesicki, then that is the difference between Ryan Tannehill being uh, middle-of-the-road to below-average starting quarterback and a more middle-of-the-road to above-average starting quarterback. Yeah. Now, I, want, I also want to go ahead and say that part of the reason that, that you have the lower yards per attempt number is because of the fact that the play calling has been incredibly conservative. They really, you know, the really only time they really opened it up, that last that big pass to Kenyon Drake, was on a drive with about a minute to go in the half. Um, and it was them deciding, let's go ahead and take a shot here, and that'll determine what we end up doing, you know, whether we're going to go try to get a last-minute score here before halftime. Um, so that was really the only time they really opened it up with Tannehill. Otherwise, the play calling has been very conservative, and I think that that's been on purpose. Um, so I don't think you can read a ton into that particular stat through the preseason. Yes, it's one of those things because, right, it's a pattern. But I think the the play calling has been very conservative on purpose um, in this preseason. And a 99.0 QB rating for uh, Ryan Tannehill through the preseason is, is pretty good. I think if you're a Miami Dolphins fan, listen, he's healthy and he has looked like good Ryan Tannehill. You know, by yeah. and large, by and large, he's been he's he's absolutely healthy, which is a huge positive, and he's looked like good Ryan Tannehill. Uh, so I, I don't think which you can say he hasn't it. turned the ball over. Right, he hasn't turned the ball over, which is which is good, which is fine. And part of that might be because of the conservative play calling. Part of that might be because Ryan Tannehill's turned a corner. Who knows? It's a little early to make that judgment. But at any rate, it's a positive thing. Um, anything else on Tannehill before we move on to some of our other positives, Brian? No, I think we said all we could say. Yeah. I, you know, I always feel like that. I always feel like we've said all we could say about Ryan Tannehill and then somehow we spend another 15 minutes talking about him on the show. But anyway, here we are. Um, Kenyon Drake, I said last week on the show and you and Al both gave me shit about it. 
I think this guy is a genuine game-changing talent. I really think that this is an explosive. When you say he's game. a game-changing talent, yes. How many game-changing talents are there at running back? Is he? Does that make him a top five running back? Does that make him a top ten running back? I think or is he that has a top twenty I running think, back. I think he has the talent and the skill. I think. He, I think it is possible for Kenyon Drake to be a top five running back in the NFL. I, I really believe that. I know it <laughs> seems outrageous, but I really, I really believe he has that ability. Is he going to do it this season? Maybe, maybe not. But I believe that he has that kind of ability um, as long as he is utilized correctly by this team. I Where think are you he has taking Kenyon Drake in your, in your fantasy draft? I, I don't know. I haven't. I haven't thought too hard about my my fantasy. Is he draft a yet. first round? I mean, if you said he's he's top five running back, I said he has the ability to be a top five running back. Okay. I didn't say he is a top five running back. I said he has the ability to become one because he is he has got that potential. He's obviously not yet. I certainly wouldn't advise anybody well, then to take. That, then that doesn't. Then you're basically saying, well, he has the ability to be a game changing talent, but he's not. Is he a game changing talent? He is going is to he be. Not? He is going to be. Will he be this year? I think he can be this year. Yes. Will he be? Will he be this year? You're you're asking me to make a prediction. Well, you're sitting here coming up with the hot take. You know. The, the scorching hot take that, look, you and Al gave me shit about it. Kenyon Drake, said, Kenyon, Kenyon Drake, Drake, listen, here, listen. He's going to rush for 1,500 yards, and he's going to score 15 touchdowns. <laughs> so he's he's your number one pick. He's he's leading the NFL in rushing. He's I probably going to get some receipts. 1,500 yards is probably, if not leading the NFL in rushing, it's top three or four. And then he's 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 definitely going to be used in the passing game. So you're you're calling for like 1,800, 1,900 yards and fifteen touchdowns. This this is a number one pick right there. Draft draft him high in your PPR league. Ooh, scorching hot, scorching hot. You like that? Yeah, I don't agree with it, but I like it. Listen, well, let's, I, I'll, let's I'll, I'll tell we'll go you back to I the tape. We'll go has, check the tape at the end of the, the season. Ability to do it. <laughs> He's got the ability. He can be that guy. The able one. Let's go. The able one. Let, hashtag the able one. We're using it all season for Kenyon Drake. Hashtag the able one. Listen. I might have to take him a draft or a round early in my fantasy draft just so that I can have him and do hashtag the able one every single week. I mean, listen, I if you know me, I don't generally like taking dolphins in my fantasy draft. But you know, we are on board with Kenyon Drake. Baby. I'm I'm all in on Kenyon Drake. He's he is I think on the offensive side, well, I, I I don't even think. I know on the offensive side of the ball, he's the best player on this team. Wait, okay. So offensively, he's the best player on the team. Correct. Um, okay. Yeah. I mean, I we had this discussion a week ago, and we didn't really – we kind of skirted around him, and we kind of decided on it was either Sitton or Tannehill. But, uh, yeah, okay, I could come around on on Drake being the best offensive player on this team. Listen, 
when hashtag the able one runs for 213 yards against the Tennessee Titans in week one, you'll know. Okay. Other positives, Mike Kosicki. Mike Kosicki caught a pass. And he listen, did. He caught a pass, and then they went right back to him on the next play. Yeah, I like Gasicki. I like what he's doing. Uh, I think he's he's proven to be a pretty. I mean, at this point, he's an adequate run blocker. He's he's running. I mean, he's he's running routes. He's doing what you listen. He's much better than any of the tight ends that we had on this roster last year, just based on current evidence. And I I, I honestly believe we haven't really even scratch the surface on what Mike Gesicki can mean to this offense. I think they've been very, very conservative. There are certain things where you sort of don't want to show your hand, and I think Gesicki is one of those guys that we're going to see a lot more from once we get into the regular season. I think he's going to be a special player, particularly in the red zone, um, assuming the Dolphins manage to get to the red zone, which as long as they keep giving the ball to Kenyon Drake, this should end up in the red zone, theoretically. Well, getting to the red zone has been something they've actually been pretty good at. It's it's what happens when they get down there, and that's where you would hope that Kasiki would make a big difference. And I like the things that I'm hearing out of camp. I like hearing that Ryan Tannehill and Mike Kasiki are getting together, you know, on their own time to work on red zone passes. It reminds me of Peyton Manning getting with his guys and, and putting in work like he used to do for so many years with Marvin Harrison and then with with Reggie Wayne. And you see the elite quarterbacks doing that with their players so that they can get on that wavelength so that when they get to the red zone and they get into those goal line situations, they just know exactly what the other is thinking and they can get on that same page and they, they can – uh, you know, throw that back shoulder pass when they both, and they don't even really need to do a hand gesture. It doesn't need to be a called play. It could just be, they see the coverage. They both see it. They look at each other. They give themselves, they give each other a look and they just know we're going to score on this play. If they can get to that, then it's a huge, huge weapon. And that's the hope, but we, we don't know yet what it's they need exciting, to do. And we haven't seen it in the preseason and it feels like they're saving it, but are they saving it, or is it just not going to happen? We don't know. I'm going to say they're saving it. Well, listen, Ryan Tannehill needs to do the responsible thing and take Mike Gesicki, Danny Amendola, Albert Wilson, Jakeem Grant, Kenyon Drake. Frank Gore can come too. Devontae, he, can, he can't come. Devontae can drive and wait in a car. But these guys need to all go together to Las Spadas. And they need to sit down and do some bonding over Las Spadas sup. Oh, a mama Las Spada and a, and a monster. Listen, that's this. That's, that's how you build it on a round roll. That's how you build. That's how you build a championship caliber team. You got to go as a unit to Las Spadas. We got to get. What needs to happen is Cam Wake and Robert Quinn, they need to get together and they need to have Raekwon McMillan and Jerome Baker, Kiko Alonso, Devin Godshaw. Cordrea Tankersley can drive the car. But TJ McDonald can be there. Xavier Howard can be there. The D needs to go to Las Spadas. 
Not at the same time as the offense. I think you need. You're gonna have. I, I think you need somebody trustworthy to drive the car. I don't know that I can trust Cordrea Tankersley to drive the car. I think you need, you know, Ryan Tannehill to drive you the car. He's not gonna get you there super fast, but he's gonna get you there without getting into a major accident. That's, that's fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. Uh, anyway, yeah, Mike, I'm liking the offense on the defensive side. How about Cam Wake? And Robert Quinn, those th- those two defensive ends. I mean, that could be one of the top two defensive end pairings in the NFL. I agree. This was what I was the most excited about coming out of this game. Robert Quinn looked like young Cam Wake. Now, Cam Wake had a pressure in the game, and it, it probably should have either been a sack or a holding penalty. Uh, but he had a, he had a pressure. But I also feel like Cam Wake now at this point in his career, and he he actually does this during the regular season, which can sometimes be a bit frustrating, but it's also understandable when you're kind of the only pass rusher on the defensive line, is that he'll take some plays off, you know, and preserve himself so that he can can be ready to make that big time play at the big time moment when he knows that the other team is passing the ball and you need that big sack. That's when Cam Wake usually comes up with that big sack. Now, if he's got that guy on the other end and you can kind of take turns, what would be really great is if you had a third pass rusher. If Charles Harris ever showed up on film, that would be phenomenal because Robert Quinn absolutely looks the part of being an elite defensive end on the other side. Again, granted, preseason game, but every week the guys look great. And yeah, he, he just you you he pops off the film. Like he just he flashes and you're like, "Damn, who's that guy?" And he's got the pedigree for it. It's not like he's this unheard of guy. He's a guy that just a couple of years ago was an elite pass rusher and had his position moved. And went from being a 4-3 defensive end to being a 3-4 outside linebacker. And he simply wasn't the same player at that position. Now he's moved back to that position that he was so great at. And he looks great. There's no reason to think he's not going to be great. Yeah, he's been fantastic so far. Uh, And like I said, I think that duo, him and Cam Wick, is going to cause some teams some problems. And then it's really up to somebody in the middle to come through. I thought Jordan Phillips had had a better game. Uh, on Saturday night, I thought he looked I thought good. Jordan Phillips was really good too. Yeah, Jordan Phillips had a good game, uh, and then it's you know Vincent Taylor and Kendall Langford, and uh, and that that's where the question mark is on the on the defensive line. But I mean, you know, a couple of weeks ago we were talking about how there were a lot of questions about this defensive line in the middle. Um, I think you're feeling a little bit better about it. Um, mm, I don't know. That's where I still have my question marks. I think it's at center. I think they're okay, but they're not great. And I think the right side of that offensive line is not good. I think it's below average. Um, Granted, they did have the big run on the right side of the offensive line. But I think when you look back at that play, you look that it was a, you see that it was a trap where the, the the right side of the offensive line actually lets the defensive line go. And then you have uh, 
a tight at the tight end Marquise Gray comes over and lays a block and one of the wide receivers comes over and lays a block while the offensive linemen get to the next level and that's what really springs Kenyon Drake for that big run I think simply pass protection I thought they did a better job as the first half proje- uh, progressed but I don't think that the right side of the offensive line was particularly a strength. I think it's more a concern than a strength. Um, can, can I ask you a question? How did we get yeah. back on the offensive line? I was talking about the defensive line. Oh, you were talking about the defensive line? Yeah, I was talking about the defensive line. I, we were talking about the center of that defensive line in the middle of that D line. That was an issue. And, you know, as we saw in the second half, <laughs> it's still an issue. Um, oh, once well, to talk yeah. about depth, but I mean, the center of that that defensive line is a is a problem. But the starting the starting of it, I mean, listen, it's got. I thought a bit Godshaw better. and Godshaw and, and Phillips played well. Um, when Phillips came out, it looked like a problem. Yes, and so that you know, well, that, and that is going to lead us back to the depth of discussion because, listen, the second and third units of this team are a mess right now. I think in. Almost every department, it's a mess. Um, but anyway, so we're we're sticking to positive things right here, and so we thought the defensive line obviously looked good. Uh, the linebackers took a step forward. Minka Fitzpatrick, I thought, had a fantastic game. T.J. McDonald, I thought, had a had a great game um, in the backfield, and and actually, and that leads me to a really interesting tweet that went out today. From Omar Kelly, of all people. And he and I, I kind of want to get your thoughts about this, and I don't know if you've seen this tweet. So, uh, Haven't seen. Oh, good. Omar Kelly tweeted today. He said, if, if I were Matt Burke, I'd be playing Minka Fitzpatrick at free safety exclusively from this point out and figure out how to make TJ McDonald work in the box. That's Miami's best chance to patch up this leaky defense, which has become a victim to big plays. So what do you think of the idea of taking TJ McDonald and essentially making him a linebacker? I think that's essentially what he is. And I think that uh, there will be times that they do that. Um, he did a lot I of that. Think, he did a lot of that in, in this game yeah. against uh, Baltimore. I, he was, he was think, very close to the line of scrimmage quite a bit in this game. I think you'll see that a lot, but I also think that, Part of the reason they went out and got Minka Fitzpatrick and part of what they feel makes Minka Fitzpatrick so valuable is that because since he can play multiple positions, you could line him up as a, at, a, at a certain position and that doesn't necessarily mean that he plays that position on that play. And if you've got multiple guys where now you kind of look at that safety position for the Dolphins and it's a real strength. Assuming that Minka Fitzpatrick is the real deal, and he certainly has looked good so far in this preseason and had his best preseason game yet uh, last night against Baltimore. All three of those guys are capable of playing multiple positions. And so if you put them out there and they're lined up in different spots, it's like, you know, are, are one of them coming with a blitz? Are they going to all be in coverage? Is one guy going to be covering more more shallow? Is one guy going to be playing deep? And it it enables them to do a lot of creative things to have three guys with their skill sets back there. And it's one of the reasons why uh, many people thought that Minka Fitzpatrick was arguably the best player in the draft and such a great pick. I'm still not 100% sold that he was the 
quote unquote right pick, but he looks damn good right now. And, and uh, yeah, I, I could buy that, but I don't think you need to pigeonhole yourself into saying you need to play this guy at linebacker exclusively. I think there's no point in saying this guy needs to do this exclusively when you've got three guys at that position that all do different things so well equally, it really allows you to be quite versatile. Yeah, and I mean, the point of the matter is that this is a Dolphins team that is going to be looking for a solution to their linebacker problem all season. Maybe it's going to be a situation where a team with immense linebacker depth cuts somebody here in the next week or two, and the Dolphins are able to pick them up. And it, and it wouldn't surprise me to see something like that happen because, you know, this is that's an area where the Dolphins are weak. It wouldn't surprise me to see them pick up a cornerback at some point down the line because, you know, as you sort of alluded to, we didn't really see that second cornerback position. We, we didn't really see either of the cornerbacks particularly tested in this uh, in, in the in the game against Baltimore. So I think. That's going to be something that the Dolphins are looking to find a solution for throughout the uh, early part of the season. I think they're going to be trying to figure out what the answer is there. And it may be experimenting with putting somebody here for the bulk of the time. Um, maybe we're going to see T.J. McDonald become a, a de facto, maybe not not a de facto linebacker, maybe like a legitimately a linebacker. He's a big enough guy. Where I think he's got the size that he could he could pass as a linebacker. So anyway, that's a another area that I thought was a positive in this game. Uh, what else? What else, Brain? What else were positives for you from this game? I, aside from the obvious, again, which you have to talk about in the preseason, it was a rainy game and everybody came out unscathed. No, no serious injuries. Jakeem Grant got blasted on a helmet to helmet hit at one point that concussed him. So he's going to be in the concussion protocol for a little while. But I think we're, we can confidently say that Jakeem Grant is going to be a member of the 53-man roster at the end of the preseason. So I don't know that that is a super big worry. And and all all reports out of the team are that Jakeem Grant is, is going to be fine for opening day. So, you know, uh, for all intents and purposes, the Dolphins have gotten through three weeks of preseason pretty healthy. Uh, yeah, I think that's the biggest takeaway. That's the biggest positive anyway, is that they've come out healthy without major injury. And I, I honestly, I thought I, I didn't come out of this game super excited, super positive or super negative, but I feel better about the team coming out of this game than I did about the team going into this game. I thought that this was for the first team, considering they came out at halftime, uh, they they led 10-3 at the half, and even if you give Baltimore the the two missed field goals, one of them blocked, Miami still would have had a 10-9 lead at the half. I thought they looked, dare I say, the better team? Nah, I don't know. They 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 didn't look overmatched. They didn't look overmatched. They didn't look they, overmatched. And but again, you have to remember during the last two times that they played this Baltimore team, they were they lost seventy eight to six. I feel a little bit better about things going into it. And fine, that's a fine thing to say. But then it goes back to the fact that remember this was this was against the uh, not the 
this was not a full strength Baltimore Ravens team that the Dolphins sort of, you know, came away with the 10 3 lead at halftime. And the offense really looked better down the stretch of that first half. But again, the fact of the matter is, this was not a. This was not a full-strength Ravens team that the Dolphins were playing here. So when you get when you have the success of the offense, I think you have to take it with a little bit of a grain of salt. Don't get me wrong. It was great to see. And whether you're up against the first-team defense or you're up against the practice squad, the pass that Ryan Tannehill made to Kenyon Drake was fantastic. It doesn't matter who he's playing against defensively. Um but, you know, it's it sort of limits your ability to, to take away a lot of things. I have to say that my <laughs> the biggest takeaway for me as I came away from this game is that I really, I ended the night Saturday walking away from that game going, I'm pretty sure these are the same old Dolphins. <laughs> well, yeah, of course. Of course they're that's, the same old Dolphins. That's where I'm at with this team. I think... Well, wait. When you say that, you mean they're going eight and eight? They're going nine. Well, I'm and not seven? gonna. I'm not gonna make that call until next week when we go through the schedule and we and we talk about. You think they're gonna tease you? That's what you think. Yeah, I think that this is a team that is at some point in this season going to make me believe that they can make a run. They're gonna. I, I, I see the. I see that this team has the ability to make me believe that. And I also see that this team has the ability to crush my spirits. Well, here's the here's the. Uh, hold on a second. Am I muted? No, I'm I'm good. You're good. You're fine. What are you doing? Okay. How drunk are you? I'm not. I'm not that drunk. Okay, continue. I mean, I did make that mistake about the offensive and defensive line. I mean, we really that was really quite a leap. Yeah. Well. Anyway, where was I? Um, well, yeah. Here's the thing. This team cannot crush your spirits unless your spirits are high. Well, I yes. So here's my spirits are not high. <laughs> well, you currently. sound like you're this team is going to is is going to tease me. No, They're I just going to get me to when buy. When I say in. when I say that they're ready, like this, you're ready to jump on. The Dolphins are making Aaron, the playoffs bandwagon. Listen, listen. Hold, pump the Kenyon break. Drake is pump running for 1500 yards. Listen, that is happening. Okay, Listen, well, let me if, – if Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Calm down. Take it easy. I'm not saying that I'm going in right now saying that I believe that the Dolphins are going to make the playoffs and make a deep run. I'm not necessarily saying that. What I'm And s- a deep run. What? And a deep run? No, that's not what I said. <laughs> you just – well, nobody said anything about them making a deep run, and now you just threw that into the ether. Listen, what I'm saying is that I think – that that this team looks very much just like Dolphins teams in the past where this team has the ability and they're going to come out one week and they might look like a completely dominant football team, right? They could come out, they could very easily come out in week one against the Tennessee Titans and blow out the Tennessee Titans. And then I could equally see them going the following week to the Meadowlands to take on the Jets and getting destroyed. I could easily see this team dropping two games to the Buffalo Bills, who look terrible right now. But I could also see this team going into New England and winning a game in Foxborough. It, it's just the thing that I said at the beginning. It's that there is this 
consistent inconsistency, and I think I see it on the offensive side and I see it on the defensive side. There are moments of brilliance, and this is why they play the games, because the question is, can this team take those moments of brilliance and make them the things that you see most of the time from this team, or is it going to be a situation where it's fits and starts? That's well, I think we know that it's going to be fits and starts. I mean, we We know that. Right, but that's the thing that's They're so not frustrating. That's the thing that's so frustrating team. about the Dolphins. If it wasn't, in, if it wasn't in fits and starts, they'd be the Patriots. The thing that's so frustrating about the Dolphins is that you see it. You see these moments where it's there, right? Where it's like, no, right. no, yes. you see that from any team. Any team. That's the joke. That's the problem. If you're looking at the Dolphins and they have a great drive, and you say. Oh, this team has the ability to do that every time they have the ball. No, they don't. If they did, they would. They don't have the ability to do that every time. That's why they're not good. They have the ability to do that some of the time. And if they can do that some of the time and then not shoot themselves in the foot most of the time, they have a chance to be pretty good and not put their defense in a poor position. And then that gives the defense a chance to be pretty good. And if they're pretty good on either side of the ball, they could be a playoff team in an AFC that isn't all that great. That's the ceiling of this team. But you're you're deluding yourself if you believe that they're somehow going to put it all together and be great consistently because there are only a handful of teams that look great consistently and those are your super bowl contenders and news for you this is not a super bowl contender no of course not of course it's not but that's why i'm saying that this is a team that might mess around and have me drinking the kool-aid at some point in this season and i know i've I get to that. I feel like I get to that point every year with the Dolphins. I feel like last year it didn't happen. Although it did. It did because they decided that they needed to go on Monday night and beat the Patriots. And at that point, they were in a position to make a playoff run. I mean, not a playoff run. Did you read that article? Didn't you send me that article in the offseason basically saying that Bill Belichick didn't necessarily throw games. Yes, 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 yes. But he basically didn't try to win. Belichick, yeah, what, that, like that every article. Other year, every other year against the Dolphins, he would decide, let's let them have one so yes. that they look good and so that they keep the coaching staff around. Right. That's basically, that was, that's the kind of, that article said that that was the kind of next level thinking that Bill Belichick is doing all the time, is that when, when there was a game that was not necessarily a must-win game, it's like, Let's let the other team look a little good in this game so that the coaching staff hangs around so that, you know, it's clearly an inferior coaching staff. It's clearly an inferior team. But if they look good enough, they'll keep enough of the pieces around so that we can continue to just dominate over the next year, you know, several years. I don't know if that's true or not, but I thought it was an interesting conspiracy theory. But this is what I'll say. If you're serious and you believe that Kenyon Drake is going to run for 1,500 yards, and he's going to score 15 touchdowns. The Dolphins should be a playoff team. Yeah, but see, I could also see... Because that's... I could also see this defense... The last time they were a playoff team was because Jay Ajayi had like two-thirds of those numbers. 
the 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 problem is I could easily see I could easily see Kenyon Drake putting a season like that together and then this defense completely collapsing. If Kenyon Drake puts up 1500 yards rushing, the Dolphins are going to have one of the best running games in the league. Tannehill will be serviceable. We're probably a top 10 offense at that point. <laughs> uh Listen, you know, let's not let's not get crazy. Well, I'm not the one that project that projected 1,515 and then said, no, that is happening. Well, I didn't want to say it was definitely going to happen, but you forced me to make a prediction. So that was the prediction I made. You said it was happening. I didn't put a gun to your head. Listen, I made a prediction. It was not based on anything other than gut. And that's why there were people that, you know, that the stat heads, they get paid to make these kind of predictions. I don't get paid to make these kind of predictions. I predict for my guts. See why? Listen, I like Kenyon Drake. It's like going to be a good player. Too. It's going to be a good season. I've been, as you may have, I've been working on this large beverage over here throughout the show. It's been, we're getting a little, it's going a little off the rails here at the end. The able one. Hashtag the able one. That's that's who he is. Um, we got a couple of uh, Facebook things. One, I think we addressed really the one thing from uh, Twitter that I wanted to say was that uh, you know somebody had a question about play calling, and I think it, listen, I I just don't think you can get all bent out of shape about play calling in the preseason. I just don't think you can. The praise the. the, the, the Play calling is always conservative in the preseason. It always is. It's always going to be. So I don't know that that's something that I can, you know, that we should spend a whole lot of time analyzing there, you know, because it is what it is. It's the preseason play calling. I got got a stat for you real quick. Oh, good. I'm I'm ready for it. All right. In the history of the NFL – 1,500 yards and 15 touchdowns has been done 23 times. Okay. In in the history of the NFL. Okay. And it was last done in 2016 by Ezekiel Elliott. Okay. And other than that, it has not been done since 2010. So he would be the second man in eight seasons to rush for 1,500 yards and 15 touchdowns. Ezekiel Elliott in 2016 16. ran for 15. And he ran for 1,500 yards. And 15 touchdowns. He actually ran for 1,600 yards and 15 touchdowns. And that was the year that the Cowboys finished 13-3. and three. Right. And <laughs> they lost so, in the divisional round to the Packers. Yeah, so I mean, if if Kenyon Drake does what you're projecting him to do, because then you look at Arian Foster in 2010, I believe that was a Houston team that also made it to the second round of the playoffs. So I mean, you're you're going out there. If, if, Listen, if the Dolphins right finished 13 and three. They're they're getting well, they're home field. Finished. They're, they're not, not. First of all, they're not finishing 13. Well, first of all, he's not running for 1,515. No, I I don't. I listen. Maybe 15 touchdowns is a stretch. I think 1,500, 1500 yards is a very realistic possibility for Kenyon Drake. 
I think he could easily, I think he could do that because we know how important the running game is to Ryan Tannehill's success. Um, now, granted, Frank Gore is on the team. We didn't see a lot of Frank Gore in um, in this game against Baltimore. I think there is a possibility, possibility that Frank Gore might not have a whole lot left in the tank. Um, and this, and I was actually thinking to myself the other game. I was like, I was like, what happens if Frank Gore retires halfway through the season? And at that point, you go. Adam Gase needs to, and Mike Tannenbaum, they need to get the hell away from these veteran running backs because that's two if that happens. Now, I'm not certainly not predicting that that's something that's going to happen, but, you know, Frank Gore, when, uh, how old is Frank Gore now? Um, I believe he's 34. 34 years old or 34. Let's, let's have the producer look it up here. Hold on a second. Frank Gore is a 35-year-old running back in the National Football League. I mean, his time is going to run out at any minute. You know, so... <laughs> it, it may have already. It may have already, exactly. So, you know, all of us have... When we when you think of Frank Gore, you think of Frank Gore at the University of Miami, you think of Frank Gore, the kind of numbers that he put up when he was with the, uh, the 49ers... Uh, you think of that Frank Gore, and I don't know if that's the Frank Gore we're getting. I, I would, I would, I kind of feel like it's pretty safe to say that's not the Frank Gore we're getting. <laughs> uh, we're getting yeah. a Frank Gore who's who's much further beyond that. He's on the tail end of his career, and is this a situation where you know Frank Gore is going to give it a go for a couple of weeks in this team, and then can't get it going, and ends up having a you know ends up retiring? If that's the case. That's kind of where I'm at. I, I I'm kind of expecting maybe an Arian Foster kind of situation where yeah. he looks he looks good for one game, and then other than that, he's just kind of meh. And then, you know, you've got this other back here, so you just get you you know it the, that year it was Jai, and they just said all right, well Jai's doing great, Foster he's out. You know, he's retired. We go to Ajayi and they give him the ball. I, I think you've got one back on the team that's clearly your best option. You have a game-changing talent in, in Kenyon Drake. <laughs> you've got the able one. You've got you've got the able one. And then you've got Kalen Bellage and Sonoris Perry. And I think if, if Sonoris Perry doesn't end up making the team, he's going to be a practice squad guy who's right there in the event that something should happen to Frank Gore. But... Is this this is Kenyon? If he Drake's. doesn't make the if he doesn't make the team, then they're getting a third running back from somewhere else because, I you know I don't think Buddy Howell is making the team. Well, no, uh, I mean, if, well, he got Kalen Bellage, I yeah, guess. Kalen Bellage uh, is the guy. I, I mean, if it if it's not Sonoris Perry, it's Kalen Bellage. Yeah, I think they should just keep all four of them. I and I think that's, I think that's a likely scenario. It just turns out. You know, it's one of those things where does Leontay Carew, who is certainly not going to get a whole lot of playing time as a wide receiver on this team, does he make the team because of his special teams ability? I don't know. What's he doing on special teams? I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I'm. <laughs> I'm just. I haven't. No, I, I haven't looked I too closely. Think, I, don't, at it. I don't think. I don't think Leontay Carew is making this team. No, I wouldn't think so either. And especially now that he's hurt and he's not really working with the. It's. 
Time to say so long. It's time to say toodaloo to Leonte Carew. It's so hard to say goodbye to Leonte Carew. This, this episode of the Same Old Dolphin Show has gone completely off the rails. I think it's time to wrap it up. Uh, yeah. You got my cue. Yeah, I got I got my I got your cue when you started singing about Leonte Carew. Brain, why don't you tell the people where they can find you? you? Can find me on Twitter at Aaron the Brain, and of course you can find me on Twitter at Amplified to Rock. Follow the show at Same Old Dolphins. Uh, make sure you download, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Really, seriously, take a moment to do it. I know there are, there are those of you that are out there that are listening to the show week in, week out. Just take a few minutes, put it together, go over there to Apple Podcasts, click on the fifth star, five stars, write a nice review. We keep Try to keep it lighthearted here, even when we're, we're feeling down on the team. You know, give us a nice review. It'll help people. It'll help us out. Um, you can also follow us on SoundCloud. And uh, you can also subscribe directly via RSS. We try to put the feed, the link to the RSS feed in every show description so that you can easily subscribe if you are so inclined. Next week, we will uh, talk about what this final roster looks like or or thereabouts. Um, And we will... Give our predictions for the season. That's this is the big one. The C, the Miami Dolphins 2018 season prediction. Will this team, in fact, go 13 and three and win the AFC East? Spoiler alert: probably not. But we're going to give you our thoughts on what the season is going to look like. We'll go game by game, go through the schedule. Tell you what our thoughts are for the 2018 season. We hope you'll join us for that one. Make sure you tell your friends to get in on the Sam Old Dolphin Show. Until next week, for Aaron the Brain, this is Amplified to Rock. This is Josh. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye, everybody. Go Dolphins!